Honey, welcome. You're my fourth ever guest. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be the fourth guest. Am I the first woman? You are the first woman. Wow, and I'm the first Somali person. Yes, you are the first Somali person, but you are not the first comedian. Ah, oh, who was the first? John Allen Reese. Oh, he's not from Norway, is he? No, nah, he's an American guy. Wow, a real American comedian. A real American comedian. I would describe him as a multi-talent. He's one of these guys that's just like a quadruple threat. Oh, those are so annoying. I know, <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah, what a yeah, fucking yeah. goddamn problem. <laughs> Um, so honey, I wanted you to be one of the first ever guests for many, 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 many reasons. But the number one reason... I think I know the number one reason. What is it? Because you had a killer set in front of my mother and you want everyone to know about it. <laughs> Basically, I just want you to tell everybody how funny I am and give me praise. That's exactly it. No, it's because when I met you, we were hanging out upstairs in the green room before doing a show. And then when you came in, I was just like... We, we, you just kind of, we had this, like, there was just this, the whole group had this vibe before we were about to perform and we were just joking around and the vibe was good. And then the whole night went amazing. And you told me that your mom was in the audience and your set was fantastic. And I just thought, you know what? I would love to have Honey on as a guest. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I remember that night. There were some cancellations. We were fewer than we were supposed to be. And there was some... Uh, some of the ordering was shuffled around. I think there was a. B we were all a bit nervous, uh, but the night was so good. It was so good. It was the first time. Obviously, the first time you met me was the first time I met you. And so I didn't know anything about you. I didn't know your comedy style. I just knew that because you were there, everyone had to speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which is every Norwegian's worst nightmare. Uh, but when you went on stage, so I was the last one on, so I got to watch everyone. When you went on, I was like, I, I think like my opening joke was my mother laughed a bit too much at your jokes. <laughs> like you did so well. I don't think I've ever been in a room and just been like, that is the, that is why we do comedy. Like to have nights like you did that evening. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's one of my, fa I've done stand up hundreds of times. And that's one of my, the fa one of my favorite shows. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. just, and I, I think that was probably the best I've ever done. So I, I've done well and I've done badly, in, like everybody else. But that night, I really plugged into something and I was just 100% myself. And I just vibed with everybody in the crowd, including your mom. which <laughs> And her friends. And her friends. And it was just such a diverse, eclectic group of people as well. I think that's part of it. Like that night, like obviously my mom was there. Her friends, some random people that didn't know there was going to be a comedy show. And then some young people, like... It was one of the most diverse crowds I've had in Oslo. It was so fun, like the age range, the backgrounds, the ethnicity. There were just so many different types of people. And even the lineup that evening, like it was just, I think that's, it just proves why we need diversity. Because then you can have nights like that. Yeah. And I know, like, say, for example, like through my work and I'm doing marketing content and videos and things like that. A lot of the times when you're trying to structure a campaign, you have a specific demographic in mind maybe it's like women over the age of 35 to 50 or something like that but when you get a show which is diverse it throws all that out the window it's just like you can actually produce comedy or anything that can appeal to so many different people from different walks of life and they're all gonna love it i there's a thought i have and it's quite strange and it makes me seem maybe a bit more narcissistic than i actually am but i 
obviously I'm a consumer of pop culture. I listen to music, I listen to podcasts, I watch movies. And often I think that the people making these things never think of me as their target audience. Like if you break me down, like the character of Hani, uh, girl, I'm 27, I live in Norway, I have Somali parents, I'm Muslim, I'm black. Very few things are targeted directly at me. Mm-hmm. So it makes me almost happy. Like when I listen to things, I'm like, the person that made it doesn't even know that I exist. And yet I am listening to it. Me, and it also makes me think like there are so many more people out there than the ones they are targeting. And instead of that being a thought that I find negative, it makes me almost hopeful. Because that means that even my audience, the ones that I'm trying to reach, I don't even know who they are. I don't know where they are. And I can try to break them down and be like, oh, yeah, this is targeted to uh, 30-year-old males and it's all about Arsenal Football Club. And I'm like, but I love Arsenal Football Club, so I'm going to listen to that. It makes me almost excited for the possibility and the idea of audience. I'm like, audience is just this, it's almost a magical word. It means literally everyone. Despite all the marketing money people put into it, I'm like, that doesn't really matter. It's just that, yeah, it's fantastic that I can just find everything I'm interested in, even if the people that made it didn't think of me while making it. Yeah, of course, right? And don't you feel like when you are finding, uh, you know, like a comedian or like a podcast or something like that, that definitely doesn't have you in mind as an audience member, that the thing you're connecting to in a way might be the fact that they're just so engaged in what they're doing or they're just doing it for them. Like I know when I'm doing my comedy, it's like I'm just doing stuff that I think is funny. I'm not doing stuff that I think that like, uh, you know, like a 25-year-old Norwegian guy... And then there's some kind of like purity to that. They're like, oh, you know what? This is just for them. But I'm on that same kind of vibe too. So I'm, I'm going to jive with it. It also makes me hopeful for the fact that I can make stuff. Because then I'm like, oh, so if people look at me and they go, oh, you're this unique comedian. There's no one else like you in Norway. Who are you going to perform for? And I'm like, if I can enjoy comedians that aren't like me, that means that people that aren't like me can enjoy me. But all, saying that, I also believe that we should have things made for people so they can recognize themselves. Yes, like say for example, having a movie like Black Panther. Oh yeah, having a movie like Black Panther. I'm gonna tell you one of my most shameful secrets. <laughs> Please do. So I love movies. Yep. And I love the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Like I just watched Spider Man, and it was what a fantastic experience. When I was gonna see the Black Panther movie, I was gonna see it with my sister. She doesn't really go to the movies as often as I do. No, no one really does, but she barely goes. And she's like, this one, I wanna go see it. Which again, goes back to representation. She's like, yeah, superhero movie, not interested. Oh, everyone's black? Yeah, I'll go see that. But I had such a long day, I remember that day. So I was at work all day, and at that time I was working at a uh, kindergarten. I was working with children. And then I had a friend who was moving away i think she was moving to france or something for for a year so after work i straight went to meet her and like to say goodbye and we ended up having this long super deep conversation and then i said bye and i was like oh i'm quite i'm actually a bit sad because i'm not gonna see my friend for a year and then i had to go back uh to where i was living at the time which was not in the city center it was way outside of the city center of oslo and then go meet my sister and see this movie and I fell asleep during the Black Panther you movie. You did not. <laughs> I did. Oh my god! But it's, remember, so, it's so it's so awesome. I know. And I remember waking up when and I was like, "Did Michael B. Jordan die? I, I can't <laughs> follow." Because <laughs> I fell asleep. And I've seen I've seen hundreds of movies in the theater, and I've sat through the worst of them. And I've been like, you know what? 
yeah, but I, I've, I've never left a movie and the only time I've ever fallen asleep in a theatre was while watching Black Panther. Holy shit. So you had to go back again. I had to. I had yeah, to, yeah, I had to had see to. it again. But I love going back to the movies. I love, I kind of feel like when I watch a movie, I'm not anxious because I don't have anxiety, but I'm trying to guess the ending. Mm. Like even subconsciously, I'm like, so what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So I love going back to see a movie again because then I already know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I can just sit down, relax, and I can just enjoy the story. Yeah, I love consuming things I like again and again and again. Like even movies, I'll go to the cinema many a times to see the same film. Me too. And I, with the first time I saw Black Panther, I just trained jujitsu. It was a Friday night. I trained jujitsu ninety minutes, thirty minutes of sparring. I mean, like just my heart was racing. I felt like a superhero. I met up with some friends. We got barbecued into another dimension. Went to IMAX, watched like the nine thirty session. And I got blown away and I was so high and the movie just had such a strong, like such an effect on me and I just loved it. And then I went back again a week later and saw it by myself and it was, it was just as good the second time around. Oh, I go to the movies alone all the time. I feel like people are missing out. I, I just want to see films and I can't be bothered to ask people to go every single time. And I don't want to reschedule my plans. Like we're doing stand-up. I could be busy like every day of the week except on the Wednesday. And I'm like, then I'm going to go see the movie on the Wednesday. And people are like, no, no, but I can't. Oh, let's do it on a Friday. Oh, let's do it the weekend thing. I'm like, I can't. I'm busy. So I'm going to go alone on a Friday. No, on a, on a, on a Wednesday. Which is... I kind of stick out in Norway. Like I'm 183 centimeters. I wear a hijab and I'm black and like people can clearly see me. So like some people will recognize me just by the fact that I look the way I do. So they go like, oh, that girl, she goes to the cinema alone quite a few times. But then I started doing comedy. I just started doing stand-up. And I get recognized in very specific areas. Like the only area is Polakgrinelaka. Mm-hmm. Like in the neighborhood we are right now. Yep, yep. That's where I get recognized. <laughs> so do people come up and say, hi, I am. I, I like your comedy? Or like? No, but when I go to the, there's an independent cinema not too far from where we are right now called Vega. And when I go up there and I buy a ticket for one, and usually I, w- I, I wouldn't get any second looks. But then I go to the, re- I went to the restroom and there's some people just staring and I went up to the ticket person, like to like show my ticket to go into the into the cinema. And he goes, "Oh, uh, uh, thank you for some um, thank you for some awesome shows that near." And then he gave me my ticket back, and I was like, "Oh, he just recognised me as a comedian." <laughs> and I'm going into the theatre alone, but that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah. The problem is I'll be back in a week to do the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna hello again. <laughs> you come here a lot. Yeah, I felt I, I felt exposed. I was like, my secret's out. You know, I, I do a lot of stuff by myself as well. And I've always done it. Because, you know, when I was younger and I was going out to nightclubs and things like that, sometimes my friends, they just didn't want to do it. And I'm like, what am I going to do on a Friday night? Am I just going to stay at home by myself? Or am I going to go out and just make new friends and have like an awesome adventure? And then I would just do it. And I, I, that's kind of like being this mentality that I've had throughout so much of my life when it comes to... You know, let's say, for example, when I started Jiu-Jitsu, I tried to get friends to start with me and they all said that they would, but nobody did. And I was like, you know what? I'm never, I'm never going to start unless I just fucking bite the bullet and do it by myself. Yeah, I think almost stand-up almost gave me that confidence and just pushed it to the extreme. Because yep. I like to do things alone before I started doing comedy. But after I started, I was like, oh, if I can just, I can rock off to a gig all alone, hang out with some comedians, go on stage alone, have a great show go backstage, hang out a bit more and then walk home alone. And I'm like, and I didn't have any, I didn't, I didn't need anyone else to go with me. No. And I was like, if I could do that, 
I can do everything <laughs> alone. <laughs> you can do everything like if alone. I can, if I can be on a stage all alone, the cinema is no problem. <laughs> no, you can sit there and eat popcorn. Yeah. And um, so how long how long have you been doing comedy? So I've been doing it for just over four years now, four and a half years. Okay. And what made you decide to want to start? So I was always, I'd say from the age of like 15, 16, Netflix really opened my eyes for what stand-up could be. Because then stand-up was suddenly just available. Like I could just sit down and watch it. And I remember watching Bo Burnham. Oh, I love him. Yeah, same. And I watched his special when I was like 16 and I just thought to myself like this is fantastic like I don't sing that's not my thing I'm unfortunately I'm tone deaf but I just loved it and I thought it was so funny and so insightful that I told my sister and a friend I was like you guys we have to watch Bob Burnham and so we all sat down we watched it and they go like oh yeah that was that was cool I was like you don't understand I think my life just changed. <laughs> okay, so it opened up. Uh, it opened up my eyes, but not enough to actually push me over the edge to do it. A lot of people said that when I first started, they go, like my friends and stuff, they were like, it's so random that you started doing comedy. And I was like, no, not at all. I've been thinking about it for years. Because hmm. I was 16. And then I went on, high, like, Vidrigo, my high school. And then I moved to Trondheim to study for university to get it, to get my degree. And while, I, while in Trondheim, I had the inkling again. I was like, it's been a few years. I've watched more comedy specials since then. I was like, maybe I should try it. And I had a friend and she encouraged me. She was like, yeah, yeah, you have to. So we Google how to like if there are any open mics in Trondheim. And I got a result that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this club and you can do open mics at this club. So I sent them a message. All along, I was like in my bedroom. I was actually kind of nervous just to send a message. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I had my little notes off. And I was like, okay. So if I were to do five minutes, and I didn't know how to do the setup of a joke. I I, I didn't even know what five minutes five minutes in writing looked like. But I had these notes on my phone, and I was like, okay, if I do this, and so I sent the message. I was like, hi, I'd I would like to do the open mic at your one of your shows. And this was in October, and I got a response, and the response was. Yeah, cool that you're interested, uh, but you have to come and audition for us. The audition is in February. Oh, my God. This is in October, and yeah. I was supposed to study abroad from December, uh, from January through June. So I was like, oh, I'm not even in Trondheim for the audition. But it was quite discouraging. I was like 2021, 20, and I was like, I, at that age, first of all, you're not really patient. And mm. also, six months seems like forever. Yeah. I'm like, I've only lived like... <laughs> I haven't lived that many months. Six no. months is quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't end up going to do because I was not I wasn't in Trondheim. And so I studied abroad and I came back and I finished my degree. And while I was writing my bachelor thesis, Hassan Minaj, a homecoming king came out. And I remember exactly where I was, where I was sitting. So I was writing with a friend, and this is a tip for if there are any students listening. During the height of exam period, all the uh, rooms mm. are booked up. Like all the rooms are booked up. All the rooms that are for like any, anywhere from two to 10 people, they're all booked up. And that's the kind of room you need to, to sit and do your writing. But the giant lecture halls are all empty because there are no lectures. Okay. So I would book this uh, 250 seat <laughs> lecture room for me and my friend to sit and write. Nice. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, I'm not going out to campus today because there are no rooms available. I'm like, there are. They're just huge. <laughs> So I sat in one of these huge lecture rooms, I think the biggest one on campus, and I watched his special, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then I watched it again. And then I was like, okay, I actually have to write, though. So I did a bit more writing, and then I went back home, and I think 
that was on a Friday. And of course, of the weekend, I think I watched it three more times. And wow. I, I was obsessed. It was the colors. It was the storytelling. It was the way he was moving around. And I've always, like, in my family, I was the one that was like, I was the one telling the stories. Like, yep. I'll sit down. Oh, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't an actor. I wasn't a dancer. But I was, like, I was the storyteller. And that's the style of stand-up he was doing. And there was no microphone. There was no, like, uh, mic stand. It was just him. And he was running around and telling the story of his life. And I find it, and, and the colors again, it was just so beautiful. And I just, like a, f a semester before I'd start, I took this random film course and it just opened my eyes. I was like, storytelling is my thing. Like, I love it. I didn't know I love, I didn't know that I could enjoy movies to that extent until I took that film course. And so I watched his special and then I finished my degree and like 21, 22 year olds do, like I had this great epiphany and I just will put it away. <laughs> like, yeah. I have other things to think about. I'll, I'll pick this up later. And so I moved back to Oslo and I moved in with my mom. Like my, I moved into the, my childhood home at the age of 22 and I got a job working at a kindergarten because a friend of mine, her mom gave all of us, all of her, uh, daughter's friends jobs in kindergarten from the age of 20 from 18 to 23 all of my friends worked there okay at some point and so I got a job at a kindergarten working with children and at that point I had never really been around children like my sister's the youngest one in the family and she's a year younger than me <laughs> I wasn't around I didn't have children in my life and I remember going to work and then coming back and then having dinner with my mum or even having dinner alone and then just watching something, watching a TV show and then being tired at, at like 9 p.m. And then just going to bed because I had to get up super early because I worked about an hour and a half away from where I was living. Oh, wow. And I was like, I can't. This can't be my life. Nah. And I just like I, my life as a student was so fresh in memory. Like I was so free. I could do whatever I wanted. I lived in like these uh, collectives around Trondheim and I was just living such a good free young life and yep. now i was like i was mm. in this job and i really enjoyed the children yeah but you can enjoy something and also not want to be there because oh, yeah. that's what totally. i really i realized like i'm not bad at this no. and, and i was almost freaked out by the fact that everyone would encourage me because they were like you're so good you you should you should take a degree in this you should stay you could be here for years and oh, then they yeah. would use other people that started the way i started as examples but like she came when she was 22 now she's 40 and she's been here for 18 years and she loves it and i would go home and be like am i gonna be there for 18 years yeah and i'd be like am i gonna be here until i'm i'm retired i, I can't and then i remember i was like oh what about the stand-up the stand-up thing you were thinking about because i was like i desperately i desperately i need a hobby and when I was younger, I used to play sports and I was like, okay, I, I'm not really interested in playing sports. I'm a way better fan than I'm an athlete. So like, I'll enjoy watching the football, but I don't necessarily need to play. And so I just Google, how do you start doing uh, stand-up in Oslo? And I got the, um, I got a course. They were like, okay, pay all this money, go to a course for this weekend. And I was like, oh, and the course was in like four days. Yeah, okay. But the thing is... Was it the RDK course? Yeah, it's yeah. the RDK course. And if I were to do the exact same Google search today, I think the wait list is about like a year. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. But from when I started until now, stand-up has truly exploded in 100% Oslo. 100% exploded. It's insane. And there's it's so many. Cool. There's so many shows on a Thursday night too. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can do three shows in one Thursday night if you time it right. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I went to the Out of the Core course and I 
the thing I got out, got out of it was like, what is a joke? Like, how do you actually structure a joke? Because all I knew was how to tell stories. Yeah. And I hadn't really done any research into what exactly is stand up. And then I got a list of all the uh, different uh, scenes in Oslo and the area surrounding Oslo. And then I just started. Yeah. And it, at first, I didn't tell anyone. No. No one knew. It was my little secret. So when you did your first show, you didn't invite like your nearest and dearest to come and support you or so anything like that? I was living at home, so my mom knew. Yeah. And then my sister was living in South Africa at the time, but my brother was in town. So he, him and his wife, my mom, and then randomly two family friends that were visiting when I got like the lineup and I was quite excited. I was like, oh, this is my first lineup. Like this is the marquee for the show and stuff. And so they knew. And a part of the RDK course is you have to bring 15 people for your first gig. Okay. But I thought the same, mm, I used the same mentality as like the giant lecture halls are always empty. I was like, if everyone brings 15, no one's going to notice that I only bring five. Yeah. And no one noticed that I only brought five. But that's what I did. I brought five people and then... Was it at Josephinus? It was. Yeah, okay. And I thought I was a goddamn rock star. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Because Did you crush? I, of course I crushed. Of course everyone you crushed. crushes. <laughs> yeah, the premise yeah. of the show is everyone on stage is doing stand-up for the very first time. Yeah. And everyone in the audience knows that. And they know someone that's going to go on stage. So supportive. They're so supportive because they're so nervous on behalf of the person they know. Yeah. And and humans are quite empathetic. So they're like, if I'm this nervous on behalf of my friend or, or my loved one, I'll, I'll extend that to everyone else. Mm. So I remember going up. I just went, Hello. And then people were just laughing. Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't say anything after that. I just said hello. And also, I remember being like, okay, so this is my joke. I've written it down. This is the setup, 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 setup. And then they'll laugh. And I had a joke and I don't do it anymore. I, I think I only did it the first time I ever did stand-up. But I talked about when I was in first grade, I did a, a theater play in school. And I it was the show was uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And then people just laughed. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, because I'm talking about being in Snow White then. But my punchline was that I played one of the dwarfs. And I thought that was going to be my joke. I didn't realize that people could laugh on the way to the punchline. Yeah. It is weird what people will laugh at sometimes that you didn't even think is part of the of the punchline. And then they just go, you know what? The way you just said that, or we're just in this mood. We're just going to giggle. We're just going to laugh. It's such a fantastic art. It's such a beautiful thing that people are able to do. Just stand up on a stage and just paint pictures for you with words that make you explode with laughter. Yeah. I would love to one day do like a production on stage, like almost like a one woman show, but it's stand up where like there is set design and and lights and stuff. But I also love the fact that Okay, I have a story. So I did an open mic night at this small little bar. And it was me, it was a few musicians and a guy doing slam poesy. And, and, and the musicians, they had so much equipment with them. Yeah. Like, in order to do yeah. the thing they were going to do. And they had to sound check. And I remember because the, uh, the place was quite small. So the girl sound checked while everyone was there. Yeah. And then a few people went on and then she went back on and she did the exact same thing again. And someone asked me, do you need to do a sound check? And I was like, does the mic work? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, then I'm good. Yeah. Like I only had my pen and a notebook and that was all I needed. And I remember I felt so grateful. I was like, oh, I love that I can just rock up here, 
sit down and when they say my name i could just go on there and do my thing it makes touring so much easy you know we did this lot of vaccine tour like throughout summer we didn't need anything but if you're in a band you need like a big van with a bunch of equipment and drums and guitars and instruments yeah it's pretty liberating all you really need is a microphone and some jokes and then you're good to go and you can entertain people for a long time if you just keep the stories and you keep the jokes coming absolutely absolutely and if they're willing to to listen but you know it's it's true and like i i've kind of encountered a few different scenarios where where people who have turned up to free shows where they just haven't been as invested as if they paid like 150 or 200 kronas and then they're like okay i paid this money we're gonna shut the fuck up and listen and we want a good time and sometimes i've been in the shows where it's just been free and people are just on their phones nobody's care like open mic nights all that kind of thing yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, if people are interested and invested, everyone has a better show. But it's also the classic thing for the comedian, though, to be like, "Oh yeah, it was them, not me." I, 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 I try not to blame the audience, but sometimes it can actually really be them in part. Sometimes there's just like, a, I don't know, you know. Have, have you ever done any shows where you felt like it was maybe like not the greatest audience yeah yeah i did so i did my first uh, headlining gig in bergen yep a few weeks ago a few months back and it didn't go well no and and i'm quite critical of myself and so when i say that people often go yeah yeah, yeah but you're still you like you're or you still did like comparably still did well yeah but not those two shows and i think i think it was a mixture of different things first of all I was the headliner, which meant that I went on last and I did the longest set. But I'm not, I'm not famous in any any way. Like no one knew who I was, and so th I think that was the thing. And they were also like, so, so who are you? And also I'm from Oslo, so I have this Eastern dialect, mm. which is the standard dialect of Norway. And people just find it provocative when you're outside of Oslo. Okay. They go, ah, uh, oh, there's no. that. We hate Fuck Oslo. Fuck that. So I think there were many things, and also I felt. I felt I wasn't, they weren't on my team. And mm. I think that affected me more than I wish it had. So did the set go poorly? It did. But what I, I actually, when I went off stage, I remember after the first night, so you do two nights. And after the first night, I wasn't really bothered by it. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah, but it's the Thursday crowd. I'll kill it on Friday. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't too bothered by the Thursday show, actually. It was when the Friday show also didn't go well. Mm. I was like, oh, I think I have to reevaluate if I'm a comedian. And I was like, don't be too dramatic. Like, no, yeah. even I like using sports as a metaphor. Even my favorite teams, they lose sometimes. Yeah. And definitely. and then and they can still go on to win the win the league or the championship. So, so I was like, I was a bit dramatic about the whole situation. But what I really enjoyed about it was how I reacted on stage so when i went off stage the other comedians were like that didn't really go too well but no one could n notice like obviously they heard that people weren't laughing but i didn't seem stressed by it even though my heart was pounding pounding like insanely on the outside i was still quite calm and that's the benefit of doing it for a while so i you know you get a bit of a thicker skin too you, right yeah and you also when i go on stage i go into a kind of a character yeah and that character isn't too emotional yeah Perfect. And so I was like, yeah, you, I, won't, I won't give you the satisfaction of knowing how bad this is making me feel, actually. Mm. But I did say things like, usually crowds are nicer. And I did say, even though I didn't have a good set, I hope you'll still like me as a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. You know, I, I 
try to take as much responsibility for the way the performance goes as possible. And I try not to say like, oh, it was a bad crowd. But I have been in a few situations where it was 100% the crowd. And let me explain one of them. We did a pop-up show in Stavanger for an outdoors pub called Beverly, where you had maybe 100 people sitting in a beer garden, which was like they're just drinking, enjoying the sun, and they had not come there for stand-up. They did not sign up for stand-up. And all of a sudden, there's just some guys on a stage with a microphone trying to get everybody's attention. And the first dude that went on, people just screamed, you suck. And nobody was listening or paying attention at all. And he was supposed to do like five minutes and he came off after one minute. And then the second guy went up and then nobody's listening. A couple of drunk assholes like, you're not funny. You suck too. And then he got up. And then I went up on stage and I, was, and I, I had the advantage of seeing two or three people at first. I go, you know what? They're, they're not really here for stand-up. They didn't give a fuck. They didn't buy tickets. They're just trying to have a good time in the sun. And then I started doing my set. And then I saw in the crowd there was two people. Two people out of a hundred that were giving me their attention. And I go, huh, this is going badly for 98 people. But for these two people, it's going really, really, really well. So I'm just going to perform to them and do the best that I can and deal with the hecklers and just have a good time. And even though it totally crashed and bombed, it's not because of me. It's because of the setting. It's because those people just weren't really there to do stand-up. So having that experience kind of taught me a lot as well, where it's like, okay, sometimes you need a few things to align for the show to go well that aren't 100% in your control. Yeah. Well, I actually have a story, not similar, but so after I was the headliner in Bergen, I went... I came obviously I came back to Oslo and a few shows after that we were at the place where we you had the great night mm. and I was doing a gig there and there was no one in the audience there were literally there were two girls and then there was one comedian and his brother and then the sound guy and that was everyone in the audience and I remember if it hadn't been for the show in Bergen I think I would have gone off there and try and done stand up mm. but I was like the, the, I know like there was a lose-lose situation. If you yeah. go up and there's five people and two of them are working, like you're not going to win. And so what I did instead is I took the mic and I sat down next to the two girls and I just talked to them instead. Yeah. And they happened to be from Rwanda and they both come came to Norway about 10 years ago. And I had I have been to Rwanda and I had stories from Rwanda that never work on stage. Mm. Like the only celebrity look like I have is the... Uh, first daughter of Rwanda and that obviously it's not a reference people will get nah. but they they just died laughing and they're like you do look like her <laughs> and I remember and I talked to him for about 15 minutes and I looked at my time and I was like okay that's me I'm, I'm done and I remember being like I felt like I felt like I discovered a new like comedy muscle and I was like I didn't know I was that strong Mm. I didn't know I could sit down with two people and be like, okay, I'm still going to make you laugh. I'm going to focus on just the two of you. And granted, I was a bit lucky because they were from Rwanda and I heard all these stories about Rwanda that I'd never gotten to use. But yeah, that reminded me of that when you were talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have a, a show idea that I've been thinking about. I, I'm thinking what would be really, really, really cool is to make a show based in Norway maybe based in Oslo, a scripted show, maybe like a mockumentary kind of style about a comedian trying to make it, trying to just go through all of these different 
ups and downs, all of these different hurdles, maybe going on like tours, doing corporate gigs, doing things like that, being a part of the environment. And I thought, who would be a good person to have as the main character? And I went through a long list of people. I'm like, you know what? I think Honey would be great at something like that. I think you would fucking crush in a show like about that. Oh, thank you. That's very, that's very kind of you to say. Well, you know, it's true. And I think because you have such a, you know, you have such like a, a, a unique, like you are just all of these like, you know, random compilations of elements that make you who you are. And I think you could like really bring a lot of flavor to a show like that. Thank you. Well, a, a comedian once told me that uh, I don't really fit in because I smile too much to be a comedian. <laughs> like, I, I just seem genuinely happy and that doesn't really mix with, uh, <laughs> with the stereotype. It doesn't, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be true. And uh, I, I agree. I would love to uh, be part of making a show like that, but I'm trying to figure out how much I want to be in front of the camera. You should be I, in front of the camera a lot. That's what people say. You're, I think <laughs> in so. The, in the most humble way. Yeah. I feel like I do, I do have the personality for it. I think I'm, I'm, I could be a good like host slash personality. Mm. Uh, acting, maybe. If I, if I, if I just be, become a bit more comfortable. Because as with everything, you start and then you slowly get better. And that's one of my f most comforting thoughts is what I, I think to myself. This is the worst I'm ever going to be at stand-up. That's actually quite comforting to me. It's only, the only way is up. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I'm, this is the shortest amount I've, I'll ever do it. Like, I'm, I've done it for four and a half years, and at some point I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then I'm going to do it for five, and then 10, and then 20. And I'm going to look back and be like, oh, when I did it for four and a half years, that was when I was bad. And that's, 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 so that makes me feel quite good, because when I do a show and I'm like, oh, imagine if this is my starting point. Like, imagine how good I could become. And same goes with acting. Like right now, I'm a bit put off by the idea, but that's also just because I'm scared. Yeah, right. Because I'm like, I, I'm not a good actor, but also, how good could I become if I actually, yeah. Put yeah, and I think I think acting is so much easier than doing stand up. I mean, maybe if you're playing like a you know Daniel Day Lewis type character with a lot of stuff going involved, but if you're playing a comedian in Oslo. You know what I mean? You don't it's really. It's a scene I know. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and you ha you can do it a bunch of times with stand up. I mean, especially when you're there, you just got to make those jokes work the first time. But you know, we, when you're doing like acting with a camera and stuff like that, it's just like, okay, let's just do it again. Maybe change the word a little bit, and why do we try adding this in? And then you're gonna nail it. All right. So when are we making this? Show let's then? make it. <laughs> I I'm I so want to make it, and I've made maybe five or six different. TV shows in the last, I don't know, six or seven years, and they've all been reality-based. Mm. So I've made tons of reality shows. I'm really not a big fan of reality TV. I love scripted drama, I love scripted comedy, but I do like the documentary style, mockumentary kind of comedy, like scripted, but it doesn't necessarily need to be every single word worked out. Like it's just like, hey, look, this is the scene, you're going to maybe uh, try to get into the car with your friend and your friend doesn't want to get in the car let's just see how that plays out you know what i mean like have a kind of like openness to the way that everything happens sort of like curb your enthusiasm style yeah. but it gets moved on in a specific direction but i would love to make a show like that with you let's do it let's fucking do it yeah one of my big i i'm a person that i have big dreams and i call them my unrealistic goals until they become realistic yep like one of them was that i wanted to move to new york when i was like 20 i would tell people 
I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to do it by the time I'm 30. But in my heart, I knew I wanted to live in New York before I was 25. But I thought that seems because I have no idea how I'm going to get there. That seems almost ridiculous to say out loud. I'm going to move. And I was like living in Trondheim with four other people in this rickety house. And I was like, I'm going to live in New York City. And when I was 24, I moved to New York and I did it. And I lived in New York. And that made me realize like even my craziest ideas can come true. So my next one, or or s- some of mine are, one is I want to do a show at the National Theatre. I want to have like an hour special at the National Theatre in Oslo. Yeah. Because um, they don't really do stand-up and they don't really do minorities. And so I was like, I want to put up a show there. And when I tell people, they, some people like, they just shake their head. They're like, that's not going to happen. And I'm like, well, let me... Watch sh- me. Yeah, watch me. I'll do it. And the other one is I want to... I want to direct. I want to make stuff because I'm a really right now. Like same with stand up, I was a consumer for a very long time, and then I became an active participant. Yeah. And now I'm. I feel like I'm the same in like film and TV. Where, granted, I do work at the NRK, but the NRK sounds like the NRA. It does. Yeah. When we say it, because it doesn't in Norwegian, but when you say it in English, I have to preface. I'm like the NRK. I didn't know you. I didn't know you worked there. I do. I work there. I thought you worked at. I thought for some reason I thought you worked at a kindergarten. Maybe I did when I was when I for a few years. Yeah, back. maybe that's why. Okay, yeah. but you work. Okay, well you're in the right place. I am. I am. But I'm on the product. I'm. I'm not. Uh, I'm like in part of the production office. Okay, for a, like a particular show or no, a... for like general short form content. But ah, what I, I want to eventually do is I want to direct and I want to make my own stuff. Yeah, for sure. And this show could be that, don't you think? I do think so. And when you when like you know we, we're just discussing this now for the first time, and yeah. you know I think you could probably like visualize how a show like that might work. Maybe it's like seven ten minute episodes. Maybe it's like twenty minute episodes. You know, but. It's telling a story that I think involves elements that people can really enjoy and get behind. It's the story of somebody trying to make it in comedy. Yeah. And we all have these stories. If you collect comedians, like the first time I ever got paid for doing stand-up, I was on... uh, So the Scotsman, it's a bar in Carl Johan. And on the uh, second floor of the Scotsman, there's a nightclub. And I did a gig there, I think at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday in front of like four people. <laughs> and nice. I got vips 500 kroners. From the audience? <laughs> no, from like the, the people that were okay, arranging okay. But like uh, you did, I didn't send an invoice or anything. I just no. got a vip saying, ah, good show. Cool. That was the first time I ever got paid for doing stand-up. And I remember the microphone was out of battery and I thought the sound guy was fucking with me. Okay. Because I was like, why does the sound keep cutting out? Like just let, and so I just ditched the microphone and I just ended up like, uh, just projecting my voice and hoping that all the four people could hear me. Yeah. But those are the kind of stories where you just go like, yeah. And also Lotte Vaccine and like the tour you guys went on. Yeah. It'd be f- cool to to make it part of the show and pretend like I was there too. Do we just make a whole new tour? Yeah. A- and like, I think there's so many different types of private gigs or birthdays or corporate jobs or like Eulable. There's so yeah. much. And I think, you know, I really think that the amount of good comedians in Oslo, in Norway, is like astronomically high. I think for so the too. population and the quality that people are delivering. I mean, it's epic. And I think, you know, we get a bunch of cameo appearances. You know, we get all these people that we admire and that we like and that could play cool roles for an episode. 
And, you know, we just move the story along. And it's going to be a story with a lot of ups and downs, challenge after challenge, resistance, all kinds of bizarre, funny situations. Yeah. I also want it to be like that one one of my, that I'm actually more of an asshole than I am. Mm. Like I get to play like a bit of a more extreme version of myself. If you've seen like, for example, Extras. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you or, know, the, my favorite character in Extras is the Ben Stiller character. Yeah, but that's what I'm thinking. Is that what you think? Yeah, 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 yeah right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or oh, just like, she's a bit of an asshole, actually. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah, if you're going to get to the top, you have to be a bit bit of a dick sometimes. Uh, and I think that would be fun to play on on the character that I am as a comedian because I'm, I'm generally the happy one. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the happy one. It would be cool. Everyone says like, if you're very, very happy, that means you have to be depressed in your own life. And I'm genuinely, I'm not. Who says that? I know, but it would be cool like, instead of instead of playing into that stereotype where like, yeah, I'm the happy one, but actually I'm a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Like well, I'm you, just I, a bit mean. When you have a look and you're probably like a wizard at analyzing characters because you go to movies so much and you see them multiple times. You kind of build a character with extreme flaws, right? Somebody who is just not, not just a little bit of... Uh, an asshole but like a major asshole or somebody who's not just a little bit insecure but whatever it is you have to really accentuate different uh, qualities of somebody to just drag out as much humor as possible when i i had a friend one tell me like she goes oh yeah it makes sense that you're in comedian though because you've lived such an interesting life and i was like but i haven't necessarily lived that interesting of a life I've, i'm just good at telling stories like, we have the same life. I just tell mine with, I just add a bit more detail. I hype <laughs> yeah, it up a yeah. bit. Like bit more one spies. Of, bit more spies. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm disinterested in the truth when it comes to comedy. I'm like, yeah. I don't care if your story's true. It has no effect on me. Is it funny? Then okay. Like, I do not care. So when people say, I'm like, did that really happen? I'm like, no, but that doesn't matter. No. The story's funny. What's your philosophy when it comes to comedy? I know some people have a strong perspective about comedy punching up. Some people think as long as it's funny, it doesn't matter. Do you have any kind of views that you have when it comes to creating your own humor? Yeah, I actually do. So, I did a show where as part of the show, I brought some people on stage and I asked them how tall they were. And then if I um, saw them as as a person that was lying, we I would tell the crowd to shout shame and then I would tell them to get off stage. Because mm. again, I'm 183 centimeters and I would ask the crowd, okay, so anyone here claim to be 183 centimeters? And some guys would put up their hand and I was like, okay, come up. If we're the same <laughs> height, we're all, we're all, we're all going to cheer for you. Yeah. If we're not the same height, we're gonna shame. shame. Yeah. So I did that, and then when I got off stage, I got a bit of criticism from some comedians because they said that what I was doing wasn't stand up. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, I was on stage, I had a microphone, and the crowd was laughing. Then that's stand up. Like to me, it's absurd to put an art form and then put it in like this box. Like even when I was younger, I couldn't understand how we could get a grade in the class arts. Mm. I was like, how can you grade my art? I don't get it. How can mine be in three and hers be a six when I think mine's beautiful and I think hers is shit? Like, I couldn't understand grading art. And the same goes when people are very critical about what is considered stand-up and what is not considered stand-up. I'm like, no, no. Are you on a stage? Did you make the show? Congratulations. You're doing stand-up. 
But so I the so the criticism that you got from other comedians was that what you were doing was shaming people. No, no, or it that... wasn't. It just wasn't stand up. Oh, so they said that the definition of the artwork didn't fall into what you would define as stand up. Exactly, and I okay. was like, well, but in my eyes, it does though. And then I was like, and I said, does stand up even have a definition? And then some guy went. Well, it does in a dictionary. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> okay, does. that's fine. Yeah, it's written uh, down in a book. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I, I actually don't agree with that. I think anything can be stand-up, but I don't think anything can be funny. No. So that's the difference. Because my thing is, is, if everything's funny, everyone would be funny. And everyone's not funny. No. So that means not everything is funny. I see myself as I'm on the same team as the audience. So I don't want to alienate. I don't go up there and I'm like, I'm going to ruin their day. I'm, it's, for me, it's not a therapy session. I don't go up there and then share all my inner thoughts. And then if no one laughs, I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm relieved. Like, I got that off my chest. I'm happy. You know I what? I hate, sorry to interrupt you. I hate it when comedians do that. I just feel like they're just like kind of like an energy vampire feeding off the crowd. And I go, oh, it gives me this icky feeling. I agree. Yeah. So I want everyone to have a good show. I want people to laugh. And so that's my philosophy. Not everything is funny. So there are some subjects that I genuinely, I, I won't touch. I don't think they're funny. Like tragedies, maybe, things Not like that? or Extreme tragedies. Like, for example, here in Norway, the 22nd of July. Yep. I don't find that funny. I'll, no. I won't joke about it. And same goes for assault, assault like sexual assault. I, I won't joke about it because I don't think it's funny. I had this comedian, Tiffany Haddish. She's very funny. And she said, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. I've tried to make everything funny and almost everything is, but I've never managed to make rape funny. And I was like, yeah, I agree with that. It's not funny. And so I don't necessarily touch on those types of subjects. And also I try not to talk about other people too much in my stand-up. Obviously I'm an observer. If someone does something funny and I'm there to observe it, I'll tell it, but I will always put myself at the center of the story. Gotcha. So if we have a funny exchange, I'll never go like, so I was this bystander and Inya did this. I'll rather be like, so I was standing there and then I heard him say this and that made me think of, like I'll always put myself in the middle of the story because I, I've basically agreed to the fact that the story could be told. Mm. But not everyone is, everyone enjoys every detail that they've said to be on stage. But there are some people I can't get around not mentioning. And I've told them like my sister or my mother, I'm like, you guys, I'm not anonymous. And so I try to do like small changes. Like if I'm in a, if there is a story and the person in the story is a guy, when I'm on stage, I'll just say it's a girl because it doesn't really affect the story at all. Again, I don't care about the truth as long as the story is funny. And so if I change the gender, usually even if the person's in the room, they won't think that I'm talking about them mm. because they know they're a guy and I'm talking about this girl. Gotcha. So I'll do these tiny things like that. I, and again, my main thing is I want people to have an enjoyable experience. Okay, but you protect the identity, like in a like in a movie. All names and places have been changed. Yeah, but I also like, yeah, because when I started doing comedy, I was working in the kindergarten, and I was like, oh, well, I spent seven and a half hours of my day with children, and I can't, I'm not allowed to tell you exactly what the child did. I can't be like, oh yeah, so we had this kid in here. He's from Australia. He's very funny, and he did this exact thing. I can't do that on stage. But so many of my stories involve the children, and so I just change the details. Yeah. If they're four, I'll say they're three. If there's a boy, I say they're a girl. And I would just, yeah, I'll just change again because I don't care about the truth. No, you just care about making people laugh and having a good time doing fucking comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Do you have a do you have a creative process when you're writing a joke or when you have to sit down and like make some new material? Do you have a, 
like a, a structure where you write things down or do you do mind maps? Like how do you how do you create humor? So it has evolved over time. When I first started, everything was written down. But I quickly realized, like, even if I wrote down every single word, I wouldn't say it that way on stage. And one thing I did get out of the RDK course, even though it's quite expensive, was uh, they told us to tape every show. So I taped it on my voice recording app. And so I'd write it a certain way and then I would do a show and I would listen back and be like, okay, so that's how I actually say it. Mm. And then I would go back and I would edit my set and be like, okay, so this is the written version, but this is how I actually say it. And then I would type it out. Now it's more of, I, I'm a, like my most used app is my notes app. Yep. Like whenever I get an idea, it doesn't matter where I am. And sometimes even I'm, I'm just about to fall asleep and I'm like, oh, that would be funny. And I'm, I know the light's going to make me not fall back asleep again. And I know I have work in the morning, but I'm like, I need to write down the idea. And so I just put down in my notes app different ideas I've had. And also when I'm surrounded by people, if I tell a story enough times, and also, yeah, another secret to be funny, to being funny, is just repeat yourself. I just, if I've told a story to my one group of friends and I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. And I'm with a new group of friends, I'll try that story again. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, okay, so it kind of works. And then so I would write that down and then I would change it because the way a story works with friends is not necessarily how it'll work on stage. Mm. And so then I'll tweak it a bit. I've gotten a bit cocky with the years. So now I can I can be like, I have a vague idea of what I want to talk about. And then let's see if I get something out of it. So I'll go on stage and I have this, yeah, I'll have the premise. And I'll be like, okay, so I want to talk about this experience that happened to me. But I don't necessarily have the lines. I don't have like the one lines that will make it funny. And sometimes I even surprise myself. It's like if I say something that genuinely makes me laugh, I laugh and I'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so some people find it that I laugh too much on, on uh, at myself. And it's just because like I make my own favorite comedy. Like obviously my- You have to find your stuff funny. Yeah, my comedy is like, it's is the is everyone I like mushed into one. Mm. And so, yeah, sometimes I've gotten to the point, I hate to admit it, but I do write on stage. Nice. It's strange to say out loud. It makes me, like, yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I think it's a good thing to do, especially if you just have this inkling and you're like, I'm just going to run with it. Because I know that when you're watching comedy sometimes and you feel like this is just happening for the first time, maybe, there's a certain kind of electricity in the air that you just go, yeah. This isn't just like some monologue that somebody's memorized and said 50 times like i'm really tapping into their creative exploration here yeah like, let's also, go with that also if i'm not if i don't know what i'm gonna say sometimes i'll say stuff and then i realize later i that i kind of find it embarrassing that i mm. just shared that mm. but they laughed and that way that's a more, win yeah that way is more than my embarrassment so i'll continue uh, telling that story in that way so that's also kind of fun because when i'm on stage i feel like i have no boundaries although again i do i do have my set of boundaries that i work within like the things i don't find funny i won't talk about but except from that i'm like literally anything can happen and that's one of my favorite feelings it's also the reason i love sports is because at the start of every game you have no idea how it's gonna end like anything can happen like the greatest team to have ever played a sport they can lose and it's kind of the same feeling when I'm on stage. When I go up there, I'm like, tonight, anything can happen. Yeah. And it's just a cool feeling. It is. You're totally rolling the dice. You're yeah. Like, and you know, that night that where we met, 
I I was like, I don't know how it's going to go. I'm not sure. I, you know, I've done stand-up for like two weeks now. Let's just see what happens. And then, you know, it, it worked out. Everything went super awesome. And that's the reason why we continue, I think, because people often ask me, isn't it horrible when it goes bad? I'm like, yeah, but it's even greater when it goes good. Yeah. Like when it goes, when you, you do a good show, the high you feel, that is what we're chasing. Like you you won't forget the night we met. Mm-mm. And I, I did well, but not as well as you. And I won't forget the night we met because yeah. I, I was there when you did it that well. Yeah, we and then we did another night not so long after that. It was the Joke Factory yeah. at Salt, and you are you were emceeing that night. I was emceeing in English. Yeah, I think you were good. You're a good host. You emceed well. I mean, you got a good vibe going. That was another. That was a good night. It was a good night. There were this random. I think it's sometimes it's a bit easier doing stand-up in front of English-speaking people just because they're a bit more open than the average Norwegian. So we had a few Americans in the audience, and they kind of all almost always help because if you ask a question they will answer there was one woman that took it a bit too far that i wish i had spoken a bit sternly to and i think like, she was maybe the australian chick that might be the australian my people chick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know who you're talking about yeah i remember yeah. there was one of the comedians was on stage and i was like and she was almost to the she was heckling him and i and i felt a bit bad because i was like i think i kind of encouraged her because i talked to her so much but i didn't realize that she would continue because that every yeah. every Norwegian would have buckled. Yep. They're like, we've got the attention. That's enough for us. Now I'm going to be quiet. But mm. She was just like, give me the energy. Yeah, You've given yeah, me the yeah. power. You know, I, I went to a show last week and the MC at the comedy show gave a little too much attention to some kind of drunk heckling chicks. And then they just took it as a green light to just shout out and, you know, kind of not hijack the show, but they weren't put in their place and they were given too much spotlight and then it kind of you know became a little bit of an issue yeah can drag on a little too much guys it can but i am enjoying emceeing i'm start i haven't done it that many times uh, but i am trying to do it more often and it's a fun different experience yesterday actually or the day before i was emceeing for uh um newcomers mm, yeah 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 how did that go it went well and uh, like it's so enjoyable watching new comedians like try and then do well and if they're like the first or second or third time they're doing it because i think that can give you a lot of confidence for the many a times it won't go well after that yeah you're gonna just close your eyes and think of that one night where you crushed yeah so yeah, I, I think okay. it, and also it's just surreal seeing the scene in oslo just like i haven't blossoming done blossoming i remember the year i started so there's a club um where on wednesdays they have a show and there's one open mic spot and the year i started i went to that show every wednesday and i was maybe challenged twice like twice another person showed up and we had to draw to see who got the open mic spot but i basically got it every single time and now I was doing a gig there and 10 people showed up for the open mic Yeah. to be drawn. And they were like, oh, yeah, but that is actually quite a... They were like, oh, this was actually a quiet Wednesday. It's usually many more than this. And, yeah. then, and I was just shocked. Yeah. And even the uh, newcomer thing I was doing, it was... Ca- so there's a two-hour workshop first and then a two-hour show. And the workshop was capped at 20. 
And there were so many people that didn't get in because it was capped. They didn't even get into the workshop. They didn't even get into the workshop. Wow. I know like at Salt on Mondays, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. They, you have to, there's a long list of people on Facebook that register their interest. They choose five digitally and then you just got to go and then hopefully get a spot. I, you know, so it's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of competition. Yeah, but it's all—it's so interesting for the art form to just expand because the more people you have, again, like people claim there is a definition. I don't know. So if you have like fifty different people doing all doing stand up, you can have fifty different expressions on the stage. Totally. And that's just so fascinating and interesting. So I'm very excited to see the thing about stand up as well, though, is a lot of people do start and many more quit. <laughs> yeah, ninety percent will quit. Yeah, so maybe we'll more. See so a lot of the people uh, at these newcomer things haven't done it for more than a year and they've done it during a pandemic. So they've only done it a handful of times. So it'll be interesting to see if we get a full year without any lockdowns, how many are still doing it? Because I think it's a lot more work than people will actually think. And for a very long time, it can be quite expensive. So people yeah. look at the comedians that are making a lot of money and they go, oh yeah, but, but I'm like, yeah, they are, but everyone else is literally paying to do stand-up. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's sort of like that in everything as well. You have a look at musicians and there's so many musicians that are just doing it for the art and for the love of performing and doing things on stage. And there's such a tiny, small percentage of people that are actually doing it as a living. But you can't get to that point unless you just grind, 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 grind and get real good. And then people recognize talent. That's you know, the thing. That's the thing about comedy as well, that you're only as good as what you're able to produce. Yeah. Are you going to go up on stage and just crush? Okay, we're going to book you again. Yeah. I think uh, Jerry Seinfeld said it. He said, uh, it doesn't matter if you're famous. If you're famous and you're doing stand-up, they'll give you maybe two minutes for the fact that you're famous. Yeah. After that, you have to be funny. You know, I went to America about like six or seven years ago. Maybe it was longer. And we went to the Joke Factory and oh, I, yeah. I, I, we booked a show because there was this guy called Tim Allen who was on this Tool Time yeah. show, you know. Tomeltotter was the Norwegian name. Is that what it was called? Well, it was that guy, you know, ho, 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 that dude. And I go, man, I told my friend, we're going to go. He's on TV. And we went there and it was so boring. And every comedian that was on before him crushed it. Mm. And we loved them. And, and he, he just sucked. And it was like, yeah, we, you know, you got our attention and go yeah. and impress us and make us laugh. Oh, you're not doing that. Oh, this sucks. Mm -hmm. I think what's cool about stand-up also, though, is the fact that you can be an unknown comedian. Granted, now that comedy has exploded and also I don't know how easy it is. But I remember I hadn't been doing it for long when I was like on stage with some of the biggest comedians we have in Norway. Or at least on the same bill where like I was the third and they were the headliner. And I remember like I did a show and Atla Antonsen was the headliner. And he and we were in like I think Sashburg. And um, we, I, the last train had already left, so he drove me home. And I remember it being just being like, like if you grew up in Norway, everyone knows this guy's name. And I remember sitting in his car, being like, I, I started comedy less than eighteen months ago, and now I'm in a car with Atlantos and being like, what the fuck do we talk about? Like, it's kind <laughs> of drives back. But luckily, luckily for me, um, the Champions League was on, and he was a, he's a Liverpool fan. And I support Arsenal, but I do know a thing or two about Liverpool. And so we just watched the game, and then I just talked about football the whole way back. And then I got off the got out of the car, and I was just like, "That's a, that's a surreal experience." I also remember the first time I was at Datra. I think one of those many open mic nights that I just went, and like the cool crew were like Jonas Josef, Martin Lepper, Henrik Farley. 
and they were all there and i remember being like oh wow look at them they were like some of like the young new comedians that actually knew who they and i knew who they were and and now we're all colleagues basically like i do yonis's show and i and it's just like how quick it changes where you go from being the little nervous person but that's the nature of stand-up like you're around the greats super quick especially when the community was a bit smaller and you didn't there weren't enough comedians for you to not do a show with atlantons like if he wanted to do a show he needed the newcomers to also be there to do the seven minute spot yeah to travel out to sashborg on a wednesday to do a seven minute spot and be driven back home by atlantons that's pretty epic you know, one I of the, could be in the show. Yeah, right. There's so many. You could just take things from real life and yeah. just recreate situations like that and just add more stuff. So I, I really believe in the show. Like, so, so do I. I. I really, and I thought Will about it. Will you let me direct it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, you, you can act in it. I think I'm going to direct it. You're going to. Okay, what, I think if, so. what, if we do, what if we do a split where you direct almost all of it, but I get to direct some of it just so I can learn how to be a director? Mm, give me an episode uh, it'll be in my contract nah. i won't do it unless you give me an episode i'll give you a scene how about in season one you get one scene in then season find two another Somali maybe woman another stand-up. episode good luck finding her i you know i i think but are you really a director though do you direct things yeah all the time all right then i want you to teach me how i'll you know what be it's, in your it's, show and then I think it's uh to be to be like to to direct something. It's not much different than having an idea for a bit. You just have an idea and a vision in your head, and then you just have to do whatever is necessary to make sure that that vision gets matched up by reality. Right. You know what I mean? So it's really I mean, you could probably direct anything tomorrow. Okay, so I'll give you season one, but then I'll get half of season two. You get one episode in season wow. two. You get an, you get thought, a scene wait, wait, in season wait. one. I think hey, you're the one that needs me, though. Am I the one that needs you? <laughs> yeah. I need, I think we need each other. That is true. And I'm going to make you part of this amazing journey in front of the camera. I at least want to have a, at least a cool fucking job title. I don't yeah, want to yeah. be like, hey, you're the dude that, you know, maybe you just like, uh, you're a script writer and you're just the guy hey, that like gets the coffee. Don't talk down about the script writers. I'm not I talking down about the script writers. I'm going to be a writer as well. Well, we, we can both be writers. Yeah. Okay. We'll be co-writers. Co-writers. Uh, I'll be the star and then you'll give me one episode. In season two. In season two. And that's a good motivation. <laughs> That's a good motivation for uh, both of us to make sure that season one absolutely crushes. All right. But I think it will. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Yeah. Huh. So, honey, what do you got plans for the weekend? Oh, wait. Are you doing the English? Are you doing the Joke Factory next Thursday? I am. I'm emceeing it. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we'll have a little reunion on stage. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. Emceeing it in English is, uh, is totally different. Like, obviously, I know English and we've been talking for a while and... And I, I, I am comfortable speaking English, but it does require a bit more thinking, just like the slightest amount more to do it in English than if I were to do it in Norwegian. So it's kind of a cool challenge. Yeah, I think so. Um, do you find that the audience in English is a little bit more... Oh, they're so much freer. They're, right? they're just, yeah, 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 yeah. They're going to give you Norwegians a little bit more... Norwegians are uptight. <laughs> we <Okay>. are... <laughs> I, I think I read somewhere once that, like, uh, there's this musician that came to Norway and he's like, I had the greatest show of all time. 
and people just sat in the chair and politely clapped. Mm, like Golf clap it. Th- yeah, yeah, they yeah, golf clapped. Golf and he was like, I can't understand their culture. That's the thing. Like if you, what I am see, I tell, I tell the audience, I'm like, I won't accept a Norwegian shoulders. Like you have to laugh with a sound. You can't just put your shoulders up and down yeah, and yeah. being like, I'm enjoying this. Like, no, no, you have to laugh. You have to make noise. That's why it's good when you get like Americans in the audience. That's they're just the like thing. they just laugh from the belly. Yeah, when I, I when I was doing because uh, when I lived in New York, obviously I did stand up, and I remember it, like I first I did a bunch of open mics, and that in the audience were only other comedians, and they didn't laugh, they didn't care because they were just thinking about their things. But then I did proper shows with like real audiences, and I was like, I've never killed the way I killed in New York. Never. Really? Yeah. So never. the best sets in New York. Best sets, just purely. Not that my comedy was better, but their reaction made it seem like it was. Because they would throw themselves back and I could do the exact same joke and have and have people enjoy it at the exact same level and Norwegians would be like clapping, like even not even clapping, they would be like humbring, like <laughs> and a little chuckle. Yeah, and they're enjoying it the same amount as the Americans. They're throwing themselves back. Yeah, I did a show in America. I've only performed once in America. And it was at a camp, and there was maybe 100, 120 people in the audience, mostly Americans. And they just loved it. And I had such a good time, and the energy was just flowing. And, you know, they were shouting things out, but in a kind of positive way that we would just bounce back and forth. And it was so good. I would love to, you know, when we did the tour in summer, you know, we had all these dreams. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could, like, take this to America and, like, cruise around and do some spots? So that would be a real big dream. Maybe go. That's season two, though. Go to Texas. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the road wow. trip across America. Let's go for it. Yeah. And <laughs> that's when I get to direct. What That one episode. That, the one in a- Texas. Episode three, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> All right, honey. Listen, it's been amazing seeing you again. And you have been the fourth episode on my podcast. And we've discussed a show that I'm totally committed to making. I think we just got to, you know, work out a few credits. pilot episode <laughs> thing and some credits. But I think it would be great. And I can, just, you know, I just like like you when you're doing comedy, I just make comedy and things that I, I would want to watch. And I think it would be a great story. Right? Yeah, I 100% think so. And thank you for having me. It's very exciting being on a podcast. It's like every, it makes me feel like more of a real comedian because all the comedians that I observe from um, from America and England, they're always on all these podcasts. Like that's how I, basically that's how I consume comedy now because they do more podcasts than they do specials. So yeah. like to, do, to do a podcast and everyone listening, his equipment is quite fancy and it feels like a very real podcast. It's so have fancy. The same it's very real. It's all the ones I watch on YouTube. Yeah, right. That's a flex. Check out his microphones. They're like YouTube microphones. <laughs> We've got to get something like that. All right, honey. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Peace out, everybody. Mwah. Mwah.